You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 54, How Catholics Can Serve People Who Experience Same-Sex Attraction. There's a lot of confusion out there when it comes to Catholicism and homosexuality. Many people think there's no place in the church for people who experience same-sex attraction. Others hope that the church changes their teaching when it comes to this issue. Today's interview with Father Philip Bachansky will introduce you to a ministry that is fully Catholic, fully pastoral, and spreading quickly in parishes across the world. This ministry called Courage seeks to understand its members' experiences of same-sex attraction, anchor them in Christian community, and help them experience the joy that comes from a life of chastity. And stay tuned till the end to hear Father Philip address questions from our listeners about transgender ministry, therapy that seeks to reorient a person's sexual attractions, and how to talk to Catholics who want to change church teaching in this area. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Alan. I met in studio today with Marisa, and we have Father Philip Bochancy on the line, who is the uh, Associate Director of Courage International. No, he's the Executive Director of Courage International. He once was the Associate Director. Now he is the Executive Director. Welcome, Father. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be on your, on your show. Uh, we are so excited to have you today, and uh, and I'm excited personally to have Marisa on this side of the microphone with me as she usually sits on the other side, but today she is here um, with me, so I'm excited. So Marisa, how did we get the pleasure in to have him on the podcast today? Um, well, I've been following the work that Courage has been doing for, um, for a while and just been so impressed with hearing a lot of the different stories of people who have... Um, just experienced the ministry of courage and um, their lives have been so touched and transformed. And so um, when my associate colleague, uh, Matt Dunn, told us that he knew you and that you were actually, I guess you went to school together. Is that right? Yeah, we go back to, to high school days uh, in, in the the, uh, the orchestra at, uh, at Monsignor Bonner High School. <laughs> We've heard a few stories about that. Maybe uh, did you? What instrument did you play, Father? Well, let's not get into old stories like that. <laughs> We'd love to hear some stories of Matt Dunn after the podcast. If you have time. <laughs> um, but Matt connected us, and um, and so we decided we were going to take advantage of, of Father's time and try to do fit two episodes into our recording session here. And our first episode, we really want to talk about. Um, how courage approaches those who have same sex attraction and just the whole um, their whole approach as a ministry philosophy and how that might differ from some of the other ministries that are out there and um, just kind of the principles um, drawn from church teaching and just uh, their experience in this ministry from um, you know what they found to be successful and some of the stories um, of, of healing and reconciliation that um, Father has witnessed in his time um, in ministry. And then in our second episode, we're going to pivot a little bit and really talk about, okay, we have these principles and this philosophy. Now when the rubber meets the road, what can we do? Um, we know that more and more people are struggling either um, with this in their own lives or family members um, or people in their parish. And so um, nobody wants to turn a blind eye. And unfortunately, that's what happens in many cases. And so um, we're going to really focus on some practical ways that uh, we as a Catholic community and we as Catholic individuals can approach this um, this topic and, and then also people who are um, dealing with this in their everyday. So... Father, we're so excited to have you. Well, thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here. For our listeners who are maybe not that familiar with Courage, can you give them 
just a quick synopsis as to what you what they are and what you do? Sure. Well, Courage was founded in 1980 in the Archdiocese of New York, uh, and the Archbishop of New York at the time was was Cardinal Terence Cook. Um, Cardinal Cook had a real gift, I think, for uh, uh, for paying attention, especially to to what Pope Francis recently has called the people who live on the margins. You know, people who uh, are carrying heavy burdens but are often overlooked or or uh, don't necessarily uh, have strong connections to their to their local parish or or are dealing with things that that um, you know priests and, and others who who want to serve them aren't necessarily um, you know ready to to talk about all the time. And so uh, Cardinal Cook uh, had set up a um, uh, an office within the archdiocese to really kind of uh, expand the church's uh, social outreach and 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 charitable outreach to people who are living uh, on the margins. And he knew from his uh, his own pastoral experience, uh, both as priest and bishop, um, especially in ministry, the confessional, uh, that there were a number of, of, of uh, people in the church who were living with same-sex attractions, often who had identified as gay and were, were, were living in, in, um, uh, in gay relationships or at least, um, you know, uh, seeking out uh, intimate relationships um, who were coming back to the church and saying, you know, I've been thinking about in my life and, and, and trying to pray and and trying to understand what, what God wants for me. And I think he wants me to make a change from where, where, how I'm living now, but I'm just not sure, you know, where do I fit in the church? You know, if I were to come to my parish priest, would he understand if I were to come back to my parish, would he, uh, would would they accept me? Um, And would they, a lot of these men, mostly he was coming to contact with had found that when they told their their gay friends that that they were going back to church or were going to go to confession um that they met with a lot of misunderstanding and sometimes just outright hostility so they were they're really kind of in between you know they uh they they didn't want to keep down the road that they were on but they weren't sure where to turn and so uh so this was really on on cardinal cook's heart for a while and uh he reached out to father benedict rochelle who worked with the archdiocese in various ministries having to do with um human heart and and the burdens that people carry and and father rochelle uh knew an oblate priest of saint francis de sales Father John Harvey, uh, who in the 70s, he had trained as a moral theologian. He had written a number of articles about the church's teaching uh, about homosexuality. And he was also, from a pastoral point of view, in the, the 1970s, was having retreats for for priests and for consecrated religious brothers who uh, were experiencing same-sex attractions, but who wanted to live chastely uh, following their, their, their vow or their promise of, of celibacy. Um, and so, you know, they knew that, that Father Harvey had some insight into this particular uh, situation. Uh, so they asked, well, what do you think we should do about this? And so uh, the two of them, uh, along with Father Edwin O'Brien, who's now Cardinal O'Brien, uh, the uh, uh, retired Archbishop of, of Baltimore, um, they he was he was uh, Cardinal Cook's assistant at the time. Um, the three of them got together and, and planned out a group where, um, you know, under the guidance of, of a priest chaplain, namely Father Harvey at the beginning, um, Catholics could just come together, share their experiences, pray with one another, you know, but, but know that when they came to do that, um, that they, they, they're, their stories would would be confidential and that the people who they were gathering with would understand where they were coming from. 
you know, so it was kind of a, I sometimes describe it as kind of a landing pad, you know, first step back into the life of the church and the sacraments, uh, you know, to be welcomed by the priest chaplain and, and kind of start that, that journey home uh, alongside other people who were experiencing similar things. So the members met uh, privately and, and, uh, and talked amongst themselves, you know, what, what goals do we want to follow here? And, and so the five goals of courage are still our kind of constitution, you know, um, uh, the first one is to live chaste lives according to the church's teaching on, on same-sex attraction and homosexuality. And then the other four goals support the first goal, uh, to, um, to foster a life of, of prayer and dedication, especially frequent uh, attendance at mass and frequent reception of, of uh, communion and, and reconciliation, um, to share experiences with each other in a, in a loving and supportive and non-judgmental way so that nobody has to feel alone with this particular uh, uh, situation that they're living, um, to foster chaste friendships, both inside the group and in the rest of life with uh, with both sexes and, and you know, and to uh, you know, to really kind of let our our friendship with Christ be the foundation of those other friendships, and then finally to live lives that that can give good example to others. Um, so we now have. Uh, I think at last count, about 180 uh, courage chapters in about two thirds of the dioceses of the U.S. and in 14 other countries, Um, and we have um, uh, we have 80 about 80 chapters of of encourage, which is part of our apostolate that was founded in around 1992. as a place for parents and uh, spouses, siblings, other loved ones of people who identify as LGBT um, to come together and following a similar, you know, a similar uh, structure of, of, of growing in, in the life of prayer and dedication, supporting each other from their experiences to, to answer their big question, which is how do I keep the faith mm-hmm. and keep my family relationships intact? And mm-hmm. so, um, yep. you know, so that, that's our apostle is, has grown, I think, well beyond anything that Father Harvey and that first group could have uh, could have imagined, but we're still very much inspired by by the goals that they set for us. What's interesting about those five goals and the like you called it the Constitution is that you could substitute the portion of homosexual lifestyle with living as a family man or with a, or as a married man or something like that, and they all apply to me too. Do you find that people who who do get involved with courage for the first time and are feeling somewhat isolated and they hear those five goals and they think? Do they have the same experience of, oh, I'm not that different as I thought I was? Like, we're all called to holiness. I happen to have a particular attraction to same sex or, or so the, do they find that their comfort in that and that, you know, I'm not as, not quite as isolated as I, as I maybe perceived I was. I just happen to have this one issue I'm dealing with, but we're all called mm-hmm. to live in fellowship and chastity and, community and yeah I think so and I think I think it's even maybe a step deeper than that you know we our, our meetings are, are arranged so that they're not drop-in meetings right because we want everybody to feel secure and we don't we don't it's not mm-hmm. a place for us to debate the church's teaching so what we do in all of our chapters is we we advertise the contact information for the chaplain uh, and a potential member their first point of contact is uh, the chaplain who hopefully is a priest uh, or sometimes is a deacon or, or a lay uh, facilitator while we're waiting for a chaplain to be appointed, um, and so the you know it's it starts first with that that personal connection, right? So uh, the chaplain you know welcomes the person, uh, hopefully as as Jesus himself would do, gets to know the potential member, and and you know I think. I've often said one of the best pastoral questions uh, that a priest can have uh, is just 
tell me your story, mm. right? You know, Pope Francis says we we you know, specifically talking about this this question of same sex attraction. He says, he says in life God accompanies persons, and we must accompany them, starting from their situation. We mm-hmm. have to accompany them with mercy. Um, so you know, we start by saying, tell me your story. Tell me where you're coming from. What you're looking for. <clears throat> you know, um, where where you where you want to go. Uh, and then in the context of that conversation, we can present these goals and say, here's what we're about as a group. Here's what we're striving for. And sometimes it takes a while for someone to really kind of get on board with that. And in which case the chaplain maybe is able to, to meet with that person privately for a while and just kind of talk about what's going on, what, what the questions might be, the obstacles might be. Um, but then, you know, when, when that person is, is ready for, you know, kind of striving after those, those goals and, and ready, ready to share their story, then the chaplain introduces uh, him or her to, to the, to the group. Um, you know, but I think I think you're right. You know, we I think one of our goals in that in that initial conversation is to help people to to understand, like, what I'm really interested in is who you are mm-hmm. as a person, not you know what you are dealing with as a, a as a cross or as a sin or as a situation or as a condition or as a diagnosis. I think. As a society, we do we do too good a job of identifying ourselves by our diagnoses or by our by some small aspect of our of our of who we really are. And and what the church wants, I think, most of all is for, for, you know, for each of us to recognize each other person as a person that our that our identity comes from our being created in the image and likeness of God, being his creatures and by grace, his sons and daughters. And, uh, and that, you know, the experience of same sex attraction is, is profound and, and, uh, you know, gets right to the heart of a person. Um, but it doesn't define that person, much less limit that person by the confines of a label like gay or lesbian or something like that. So, so, so what I hope people find when they come, uh, to our groups and when they meet our chaplains and our members, uh, is is that you know they're encountering uh, maybe for the first time in a long time uh, people who, who are saying you know I, I want to know you I want to know who you are I don't want to restrict you uh, with this label mm-hmm. uh, they're realizing here's a person who really wants to know who I am and and what's going on in my heart and 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 you know and and is asking sincerely what do I need and 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 I can be honest with with them and and hopefully be more the person that, that God wants me to be. For, for so many, I'm sure um, that's the first time that they've ever, ever had anyone in the church listen to them um, as opposed to talk at them or to them. Um, it just seems like so much of, of what I read or just hear from individuals is just, you know, I sat through the classes in, you know, CCD classes and I sat through, you know, even college classes or whatever. But, you know, I never had a chance to ask any questions myself or, you know, express what I was dealing with. It was just a, kind of that very intellectual um, transmission of church teaching um, that didn't never really resonated with um, their lived experience. And so, um you know, from a certain standpoint, it's understandable why they would go to a community that they felt understood mm-hmm. their human experience. So I love that that question, tell me your story, um, is like the first step that you that you take. I think that's just so awesome. And I think that's that should be 
almost everybody's approach. Right. I mean, where, where else are you really going to start? You know, right. if, you know, I, I, I try to be very careful in the language that I use, you know, um, first of all, like we, we made a, a choice, um, to, you know, not use labels for people as much as possible. So rather than talk about a gay person, I'll talk about a person who experiences same sex attraction because it puts the person first, um, you know, it acknowledges that, that this, that this experience is real and, but it's part of a person's experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the sum total of who they are. Um, and that the, that these attractions, they they affect different people differently. And mm-hmm. sometimes the same person differently, different parts of their lives. And so uh, the last thing I wanted, would want to do is 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 come across as, as if I knew everybody's story before they even opened their mouths, yeah. right? So which is why, you know, sometimes on the other side of things, uh, well-meaning people in the church will talk about you know, people who struggle with same-sex attraction or who suffer from or who are afflicted by same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, I, I know that uh, and I firmly believe that following God's plan makes a person ultimately happy, right? And that there's a certain suffering that comes with with uh, with doing things that are not part of God's plan, whether his plan for sexuality or his plan for anything else. Um, but if I were to say to someone, you know, I'm, I, I'm really sorry that you're suffering with this. The first time that I met them, yeah. um, you know, then the response is, well, you don't even know me. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you possibly know whether I'm suffering, let alone what my suffering is? Right. Um, and so, you know, then the, the, the defensive wall comes down, the conversation's over. So, you know, to really, you know, take that, that um, receptive approach uh, to meeting people, to welcoming them and, and, and asking to, to hear what's going on, a- asking them, maybe sometimes challenging them to, to share their story. You know, um, this is, this is the, the road to Emmaus, right? Jesus comes to, across those disciples. He knows very well what's going on, right? And they expect him to know why they're, why they're upset, you know, but what does he do? He says, what are you talking about as you're walking along? And like everything that happened in Jerusalem, he said, well, what kind of things? And they, they said, are you serious? You, you don't, you're the, you're the only person in a 10 mile radius who doesn't know what just happened here. And he says, well, but, but tell me about it. You know, tell me what happened. And he gets them talking and sharing their story and sharing their pain and sharing their, their experiences. And, um, and then he says to them, well, but wait a minute, let's think about what he said when he was alive. And maybe we've, maybe you've forgotten some of those things, you know, and so then they go back and they walk through the, you know, the gospel story and they walk through all the, the, the Psalms and the, the prophets and, and the, um, you know, and, and, uh, and the law and, and he shows them how it all fits together. So, you know, when we can help someone to share his or her story, then, then, you know, we, we can also help them to reflect on their story and, and hopefully then they ask us to share the rest of the story as we, as we receive it from the Lord. I love that. I, yeah. I never, <laughs> never thought about that. Um, that's so neat. And one of the thoughts that I had as you were telling that story is that there's such an, an a validation of the emotional experience of, um, you know, that Jesus is, is in a sense providing a, an opportunity to validate their experience from an emotional standpoint. And he doesn't, he holds back, you know, he doesn't immediately say, as they're expressing their story, oh, wait, no, that's wrong, you know, according to the law, like, that's wrong. You got that wrong. And I think sometimes, and even I've experienced this sometime, uh, sometimes where somebody starts to tell their story and I'm like, should I speak up right now? Is it, <laughs> is it um, you know, am I somehow 
diluting or not being faithful to to what I believe by not saying something right now. Um, and I don't know. I think there's a lot of freedom in just being able to listen initially um, and and not feel like somehow you're condoning, but you're you, in. But you are validating um, where that person's coming from. Yeah, I don't think it's <clears throat> it's uh, necessary or most of the time true uh, to start from the the point of view that everyone who is doing something that they're not supposed to be doing is doing that to be defiantly evil, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, that um, you know most of the time, and this was an insight that as old as uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas, and then probably before him, you know, most of the time we we're not choosing uh, sins because we think that they're sins. We're choosing them because uh, we misperceive them to be something good or necessary mm-hmm. for us, you know? Um, and so in the, and I think that's, you know, above all true when we're talking about sexuality that, you know, people we're, we're made, if we're made in the image and likeness of God, we're made to be in loving relationships mm-hmm. and we're made to form strong connections of, of giving ourselves and receiving the gift of another. Um, and so, you know, the, the question when we're talking about sexual attraction, um, is, you know, are, are you looking in the right place for the right kind of love? Right. Um, but ultimately the people that we're, that we're approaching and talking to, they're, they're looking for connections, they're looking for love and, and, you know, I, I would never want to suggest that, that there's no possibility of, of real affection and, and, and hopefully friendship uh, in, in, in a relationship between two people, of the same sex. Um, what the church is saying is that, is that that's not the appropriate context for a sexually intimate relationship. Um, but that's always to encourage people to go higher and deeper, you know, that to say cheerfully and, and convincingly that to, to, to sacrifice, uh, eros, the, the sexual passion, uh, that's a specific kind of love, uh, to sacrifice those feelings, for the sake of purifying and enabling a deeper friendship is, is a very worthy thing to do and, and ultimately leads to something very authentic and very free. So over the years, especially since 1980, a lot of things have changed, especially with gay marriage and the whole transgender movement and the, that sort of thing. So how has the scope um, and approach of courage changed over the years with the, with the, with the changing culture? Well, I mentioned, of course, you know, just the fact that we're expanding so rapidly. Um, and uh, that's actually that's hit a bit of a, a of a, a sharp upward curve uh, since the decision of the U.S. Supreme Court um, almost three years ago now uh, in about gay marriage. Uh, I wasn't to be honest, I wasn't sure what was going to happen at the time. Um I thought that it, we'd be marginalized for, for quite a long while as people just kind of said, well, you know, it's all a settled issue now. We don't have to talk about it anymore. Uh, and I've been very pleasantly, uh, you know, I've been very pleased to be wrong. I, I should say about yeah. that because we've gotten, um, you know, several, several dozen uh, new chapters in the three years since then. I think because bishops especially and, and the church in general are realizing uh, this is not um, – this is not a, a question on which we can be ambivalent or undecided. This is it's a question in which we have to speak very clearly, and that if if we're going if the whenever the church has to say no to a certain choice, and we never say no to people, but we do have to say these these this way of, of acting, this way of living, this way of choosing is not right. We have to say no. It's always in order to to lead people to say a bigger yes, right? And so if bishops are realizing, well, I have to say something about this question of of uh, same sex union 
questions or of you know participation in the life of the church when 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 you're in a same-sex marriage things like that if we have to you know continue to call people you know, not to pursue same-sex relationships. Well, then we have to you have to offer them a an honest alternative to that. Uh, and so we've been we've been called by a number of dioceses uh, to help get chapters set up where they are. I think another uh, a way that the apostolate has grown, and this started in, and certainly in the time of Father Harvey, uh, and has, has again taken off uh, pretty rapidly in recent years, uh, is uh, you know a big part of our work here in the the Central Courage Office uh, is supporting our, our chaplains who are doing that frontline pastoral care, uh, but also doing continuing formation, uh, primarily for priests and deacons, and and uh, then for other people in ministry, and we do that by going out to dioceses and giving talks locally. And also organizing conferences about every year and a half for people in ministry. Um, so we've been able to, to really hopefully make a big impact uh, on those who are on the front line. You know, mm-hmm. Pope Francis says the church is a field hospital. Uh, well, courage is a hospital tent well behind the lines. Mm-hmm. You know, people come to us. People come to us after they've already met with, you know, their the, the, the parish priest or deacon who's or, or pastoral minister who's, who's the one who's doing, you know, spiritual first aid and pastoral triage. Right. Um, so I'm really. Uh, continue to be grateful for the opportunity to 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 speak to those people who are out there doing that um and then as best we can we try to participate in the in the broader uh, cultural conversation which is certainly getting uh both more urgent and more confused as time goes on but uh, <laughs> yeah you know, we hope to be able to continue that and and to really be a voice for for the church's teaching with with clarity and with with charity Father, we have some questions that some of our um, there's either people following us on Facebook have asked us to ask you or even members of our staff. Um, so do you mind if we go through some of those questions now? That'd be great. Okay, great. Um, so our first question, um, does courage work with those who experience gender dysphoria? And if so, um, how does courage approach um, you know the the question of transgender? Um, identification and and that sort of thing so our our primary uh, mission uh, I think will always be uh, people who are experiencing same-sex attraction and and the people who who love them as their family members um, and so we don't uh, so the the specific question of of uh, gender dysphoria of confusion about sexual identity um, it, it's it has some similarities, but a lot of differences, I think, from the experience of same-sex attraction. Um, and to be honest, we're still kind of learning, I think, with, with everybody else, just what those experiences are like. So we do need to to hear from people who are experiencing that. And, and we have, um, you know, as, we have uh, a few people who, um, you know, are kind of part of our team when we when we are able to talk about this, for example, at our, our conference for people in ministry. Uh, we have people who who will speak uh, at those conferences for us about their own experience of, of gender dysphoria. Um, but as far as the people who are living with it themselves, we're, we're still learning, uh, you know, how to understand the question and then how to respond to it in a pastoral way. Uh, I, I think ultimately our, our approach um you know, to providing good pastoral care for people who are living with that experience themselves uh, is, is 
you know, it starts from the same place. Tell me your story. What's, mm-hmm. what's going on? What's, what's, uh, what's happening in your life that, that, um, you know, how, how are you thinking about yourself, about your relationships, about your body, about your sexuality, um, you know, to help a person to, to really try to understand God's plan and to embrace it. You know, the, the catechism, you know, gives some pretty clear indications, uh, you know, uh, about uh, the more, the morality of, of, of sexual identity. You know, it says, you know, being, being man or being woman is a reality, which is good and willed by God. Uh, that's not by accident and it's not arbitrary. And so in, in the, the section on, um, on our moral response, uh, to, to God's plan for sexuality, it says, Everyone, man and woman, uh, should accept, should acknowledge and accept his or her sexual identity. Um, so, so our pastoral approach would be to get a person talking about, um, you know, what it is that that becomes an obstacle to acknowledging and accepting their sexual identity, as, as is evident from from their bodily structure, their genetics, their 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 bodies, and um, you know, and, and then to help them to consider, you know, what is it that's that's good? You know, why would God choose to to create me as a man and not a woman or a woman and not a man what can i see in there that's that's really beautiful and and worth uh embracing and pursuing um and i think one way that we we really help people to understand that is by talking about the reality of motherhood and fatherhood um you know that that pope john paul in his letters uh, to and about women mentioned several times how you know he perceived that it's part of the physical structure of, of the woman as well as her spiritual structure that she's made for motherhood um, and you know, if God gives a vocation, he always gives the gifts that are necessary for living that vocation. So if, so John, St. John Paul's insight was if, if women, if every woman by virtue of being a woman, uh, is able, has the potential to be a mother, then every woman by virtue of being a woman has been given the gifts to love like a mother loves. Mm. Right. And then of mm. course the second insight is that loving as a mother does is different than loving as a father does. Right. And so if every man by virtue of being a man, uh, is, has the potential for fatherhood, then every man by virtue of being a man has received the gifts. And, and I would say also the desire to love like a father loves. Mm-hmm. Right. So whether people are, are, have their own children, you know, all of us find our identity, our, our masculinity or our femininity, uh, in that connection with spiritual fatherhood or motherhood. So, um, to present that as a, as a real authentic expression of self and not a consolation prize for people who aren't getting married. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that spiritual fatherhood and motherhood, I think are really the, the key to, to understanding what's the, what's the God given, um, God created part of gender and sexual identity that we need to really hold as, as true and, and valid and important. That's so good. Wow. I'm, yeah, I'm going to listen to that. A few times <laughs> <over>. <laughs> um, our next question um, we received on Facebook, does courage try to change people's orientation? I believe not, but have you ever received the accusation of that? Well, sure. People accuse us of that all the time. Um, and you know, it's never been a part of our, uh, of our approach, uh, to change someone's orientation. I understand that that is the stated approach of, of other uh, Christian groups, you know, oftentimes more 
evangelical in nature, but our five goals have always been the same, right? Live chaste lives supported by prayer, fellowship, friendship, and, and uh, service to others. Um, it's never been part of our goals uh, to change a person's orientation. And there are people, you know, we, we just, uh, just last week or a week before lost a, a longtime Courage member. And, um, you know, he, he lived uh, well into his 80s and, you know, would still tell you that, you know, the, he's still you know, that experience of, of same-sex attraction was still there, but he embraced chastity for the last uh, quarter of his life and, and lived it out pretty heroically. So um, I think there are reasons for this are have to do with the church's teaching uh, on homosexuality, uh, which makes a, a, an important distinction that the experience of same-sex attractions is not a sin in itself, right? <clears throat> that, that our emotions, our desires, our urges, our appetites, everything that the church puts under the heading of the passions, right? These are natural parts of the human self and, and the, the connection between the, the, the life of the, of the body and the life of the soul, um, that, that emotions and attractions are kind of premoral, you know, that, that our moral, uh, responsibility and our moral, uh, culpability comes in with what we do with them and about them. If I put myself in a position, uh, that I know I'm going to be tempted in a certain way, well, I'm responsible for putting myself in what we often call the occasion of sin, right? Um, if I, if I hold on to, a thought, an attraction, or a desire, and embellish it and, and entertain it, then I'm responsible for that. But, but you know, to feel a feeling is never a sin in itself, right? Um, and so, to feel a, an attraction to a person of the same sex, to feel a desire for intimacy with a person of the same sex, is not sinful in itself, right? And so, no one's rejected or or excluded <clears throat> because of this experience. Um, and therefore, I think it's it's clear there's not there's not an obligation um, to to modify uh, those attractions. I mean, the, the obligation is to live a chaste life, which means putting those attractions in context, uh, choosing uh, not to, choosing whether to act on them according to whether it's part of God's plan for sexuality, part of God's plan for me, right? Um, and that that call to chastity uh, is part is, is an obligation for every single human being, not just people who experience same-sex attraction. But anyway, to get back to your question, because of that teaching, um, we, we don't um, we we've we don't and we never have um, you know provided or referred for or required any kind of therapy, um, let alone therapy specifically designed to to you know reorient a person. I I, I have serious questions about whether that's actually even possible. Um, now, if a, if a courage member wants to uh, approach a therapist who's got a solid grounding in in Christian anthropology, who takes their goals to live chastely seriously and and wants to work on things that that can be obstacles to living chastely, like um, anxiety and depression, because unchaste behavior is is oftentimes kind of a a um, you know kind of a self medication for those kind of feelings, or you know attachments, or uh, you know wounds in relationships, or wounds in self image, or or any number of other things that 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 everybody carries around with them. Let alone you know, not not just people that that are experiencing same sex attractions. If they want to talk to somebody who's got good training and and good anthropology and, and it's going to help them uh, to overcome obstacles to chastity. Awesome. I'm all for that. And I would support anybody who wants to approach a therapist on their own uh, for what we might call chastity based therapy. But, but um, you know, uh, therapy or, or any kind of approach to reorient a person has never been anything that we've provided or, or ever expected of anybody. So one more question from um, a listener 
how do you how do you talk to Catholics who take an oppositional approach to church teaching on this issue? Um, and I would like to add a, a, a second question or a caveat. But do you think there is a perception of what the Catholic Church's teaching is versus what the Church actually teaches? And do people take opposition to that, or do they take opposition to what the church actually teaches? Well, yeah, it's funny. Um, uh, uh, Fulton Sheen, Father uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, said one time, "There's not a single person who hates the Catholic Church, but, but there are millions of people who hate what they think the Catholic Church is." Right? <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think when when someone, uh, you know, when someone is is taking a, a position on sexual morality or sexual identity that's different from, you know. What we see, for example, in the catechism, um, we have to start with dialogue. So tell me what you're getting at. Tell me what you're thinking here. You know, um, I think it's important to take that other person seriously and not to assume that they're ignorant or that they're defiant or just dissenting, you know, but really hear them out. Um, and then, uh, challenge some of the assumptions that they're making, you know, um, the, the the one of the biggest fallacies is it's called begging the question. So assuming that the thing that we're trying to uh, decide on is true ahead of time, right? So you know people say, well, the church can't teach this way uh, because they are um, they're they're denigrating a person's identity. Well, that's begging the question. The question was, is this how God makes us, right? Is this actually part of our identity? So if you're assuming uh, from a certain uh, direction, then um, we've got to get at that assumption first. We got to get at that that fallacy first, um, and then to just present it a, a, as cheerfully as possible, right? Um, <laughs> you know, um, and this is a privilege that I have as as a priest, right? As a I've been I've been intentionally celibate since I entered the seminary, you know, more than a quarter of a century ago, right? Um, and uh, you know, I can testify that <clears throat> a life without sex is not a life without love, right? That chastity is difficult at times, but um, that but that it all it won't kill you first of all, <laughs> but that and that it ultimately makes you free. So, <clears throat> if we can, it, I think one of the the most convincing arguments for the church's teaching is people who are living out the church's teaching and finding their fulfillment in it. You know, mm. um, but I think. You know, we oftentimes we're not encountering dissent in the church or from the church's leaders as much as we're encountering silence um, or ambiguity, um, you know, which I think comes, again, not from not, not usually from from a, a place of, of wanting to cause division or stir things up as much as a, maybe a, a misplaced compassion, not wanting to offend. And so I, I keep quiet when I should speak or I, I don't say the truth, you know, because I, I think people, someone isn't ready to, to handle it. But, you know, the, the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith wrote an important letter in 1986 <clears throat> about ministry uh, to people with same-sex attractions. And they said a very important sentence. They said, we wish to make it clear that departure from the church's teaching or silence about it in an effort to provide pastoral care is neither caring nor pastoral. Hmm. Only, only what is true can ultimately be pastoral. And the neglect of the church's position prevents homosexual men and women from receiving the care they need and deserve. You know, and I think that one of the things that breaks my heart is when when people, especially priests, um, say to a person who's experiencing same sex attraction, well, you know, it's OK. This is how God made you. Um, and so just find yourself a partner to settle down with and everything's going to be great. Uh, because when a priest has told you this is how God made you and this is how God wants you to find your fulfillment and then you're still unhappy, you're in big trouble. 
right? Mm. How, how is it possible that I'm the only person who can't uh, figure out how to be happy with the way God made me mm. to be? Right. And, and ultimately, from a perspective of faith, we have to say God doesn't make people uh, to experience these attractions that God makes us with an orientation towards towards the opposite sex. Um, but then when, you know, I think when a person hears that in a in a cheerful and a charitable way, you know, then they're able to say, oh, OK, so this is not my problem. Uh, this is not that I'm I can't do it right. It's that what I what I'm desiring is not what God made me to desire. Uh, and if I if I get closer to Him and understand better how He made me, then then I'll find the pathway to to really be happy. That is so yeah, good. I think you just answered this question, but what about um, those groups that are uh, quote unquote Catholic, but are are organized to and set out to change the church's teaching? I don't want to name. You know, organizations, names, people's names, but there's we see some of that out there. How do we how do we talk with them um, who are obviously understand what the church teaches, but want to change want to change that? Well, again, it starts with dialogue. So get to know them, get to know where they're coming from, uh, and see if there's a possibility to actually have an honest conversation about where they're coming from. And then, and 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 then I think the question is, you know, well, you know, it seems pretty clear that. Um, that the church wants something specific, you know, um, that the church has a, you know, that, that letter that I mentioned, for example, uh, you know, lays out what the church is looking for, for authentic pastoral programs, you know, and to say, well, so can you tell me like what has changed in terms of theology or in terms of the nature of the human person or in terms of, uh, uh, you know, just what, what, what God's plan is like, what's changed in the book of Genesis, like in the last, 25 years since that letter was written, um, because if nothing's changed, then, then why are you taking the opposite point of view? You know, I mean, one thing that I, I often say is, you know, the, the beauty of the modern age is all the church's teachings, uh, from the catechism to the CDF, to the bishops conference on down, it's all translated into English. It's all online, right? Like, you know, I, what I'm trying to do is, is, is fulfilled to the best of my ability. Um, you know, what the church is asking us to do and what, uh, Father Harvey and our first courage members left us as a legacy. Um, and I, I can't tell you what would motivate somebody to not do that. Um, but I think it's fair to ask them, you know, here's, here's what the church is asking for. Um, what is it that that makes you think it's important to take a, a, an opposite point of view? If 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 mm -hmm. what you want is to stay in the church, so good, man. I could sit here and talk to you all day about this. This is great. There's a number of years ago. I remember thinking it was probably 20, 25 years ago, and I was a youth minister, and there were, um, I guess it was yeah, about twenty years ago. And anyway, uh, just this issue of homosexuality coming up, and and I remember thinking, just just not talked about enough. Like it's out there, and it's just almost like it was taboo to even like broach the subject with people. And it was just, I thought that was, at the time I thought that's part of the problem is we're just not talking about it. Like no one's talking about this. And if we can start some dialogue about it, then we can actually address the issues where people are, people are, are, you know, ashamed and, and, and hiding and, and people don't want to talk anyway. So I'm glad that it's that that's not the situation that that's changed now and that people are not just talking about it, but are, are, you know, offering their, their help and resources and, and fellowship and community and, all of what you're doing is just so good. So thank you so much. 
Well, thank you. I, I couldn't do it without, um, you know, without the, the people who are coming to us uh, and sharing their lives with us. You know, Father Harvey always said that, uh, you know, our best ambassadors are our members. And, um, you know, I, I firmly believe, you know, I mean, I can I can't tell you anybody's story for them. And, and the last thing I would want to do is, is give the impression that there's one story that fits everybody, you know. So, so I'm really very proud of our members who increasingly these days are, are willing to to give their testimony at different uh, gatherings for priests or for people in ministry. Uh, some of our, our, our members go to uh, gatherings for high school students and college students. Um, a couple of them are writing books. You know, uh, uh, I encourage member uh, Dan Matson uh, just uh, published a book last summer called "Why I Don't Call Myself Gay," and it's it's beautiful. The first the first maybe fifth of it is his memoir, uh, and then a, another significant part is his reflections on the church's teaching and why it's important to him and and how it changed his way of looking at himself. Uh, and then the last part of it is is uh, it, you know, are his very good insights from experience again on, you know, how to live chastity, how to live authentic friendship, you know, how to develop a life of prayer, uh, you know, and it, and it comes with this, this real, uh, profound, um, uh, you know, strength and, and, and truth to it because it's his own personal story because he's able uh, to speak from his experience. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a part of the, 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 the dialogue in the church today is, is the importance of, uh, part of it is the importance of getting to know people who are living with this experience and learning from them. I think that's absolutely true, right? We have to know people, but, um, we have to hear from people who, you know, who, have have taken the next step down the road and are embracing the church's teaching as well, right? And, and I hope that it's a real dialogue, not a monologue, so that you know, as we're listening to to people tell their stories, they're also opening open to hearing the uh, you know the universal story, the gospel story that that really puts each of our own individual stories into context. Well, thank you so much, Father. We are um, going to link to um, the the site of courage on our website. Um, on our show notes, those of you who are listening, tune back in next week for part two, where we speak with Father Philip about um, some of, some very practical ways that you, as a Catholic um, and as a as someone working in ministry, um, can be a better ambassador um, to those who experience same sex attraction. So stay with us, and we will be back with you next week. God bless. Peace. <laughs>